0: if you li- if you missed um particularly that last half hour but if you missed the last hour uh, you absolutely have to go later today and get the podcast at myfaithradio.com you will uh, it's been a long time since i've been as energized to meet a brother um, as i am by having just met david Eubank um, and the free burma rangers in in the last half hour so um so don't forget this show is available via podcast later today at myfaithradio.com um, thanks to Paul Perot who is uh, always working to do all the good. It's all kind okay, of the press gonna... digitization. So I know I just love it. Thank you, man. So um where in the word are you today? Here's a passage from First Corinthians eleven, twenty-three to twenty-nine. Um uh, let me let me or I'm gonna maybe only read through twenty-six. Okay. So um why this? Because I was reminded yesterday in a conversation. Uh, I was reminded about the reality of betrayal, and in, um, in the bottom half of this hour, we're actually going to talk with Phil Waldrop about betrayal and his book Beyond Betrayal, how um, the Lord has tenderly shepherded him beyond betrayal in his own life, and he is then offering those principles to the rest of us. Um, and so the, the, the conversation yesterday was about betrayal. And my friend and I uh, sort of settled on this reality that, you know, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night that he was betrayed, that's the night he washed their feet. That's the night that we have these incredible discourses of teaching in, um, in the vineyard. That's the night that he institutes the Lord's Supper. On the night he was betrayed. On the night he was betrayed, I just... Somehow that just kind of took me over. So I offer you these verses from 1 Corinthians 11. This is the Apostle Paul saying, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Um, this passage starts with an acknowledgment that Jesus is Lord. It also um, includes this just incredible oh, this incredible truth that all of this happened on the night that he was betrayed. And so if you're hurting, if you're broken by sin because someone sinned against you. I just think this is a passage that reminds us that we're not alone. Jesus literally knows the pain of betrayal. He was betrayed. And on the night of his betrayal, he radically changed the narrative. Why? Because he wasn't operating with this exclusively temporal worldview where a best friend or a spouse or an employer or an employee can cut you so deeply to the heart that you think you'll never heal. No. He's operating out of of an understanding of God's Character and God's redemptive plan, and that there is power beyond betrayal. There is healing on the other side. So, um, in in the in the bottom half of this hour, we are going to talk with Phil Waldrop about his book Beyond Betrayal. But up next, I've got Justin Gibney from the And Campaign. He and I are going to talk about um, maybe the maybe the wounds that don't cut quite as deeply, um, but wounds that cut us nonetheless. And those are some of the cutting conversations that are happening in the culture today. Justin and I are going to talk about um, how some of our politics have gotten quite petty. We're also going to talk about um, the challenge that pro-life Democrats are, are having within their own party right now, struggling to be heard. Those conversations up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living in the world. Um, What is that really saying to us? That is saying that the, the, the spirit of the living God, which inhabits the life of a believer, the life of a follower of Jesus Christ, that the power of that spirit is more powerful, more steadying, more grace and peace giving, more peace producing than the spirit of the world. What is the spirit of the world? I mean, you and I have met some nasty spirits in the world, right? Uh, If you've ever had an experience where literally the spirit within you like rose up in uh, kind of disgusted, but certainly righteous revolt against the spirit in another person, then you know of of what I speak. Spiritual warfare is real. I don't think we talk about it nearly enough. Uh, We certainly don't engage in it often enough. Um, if you didn't armor up already this morning, then go back to your prayer closet and open Ephesians 6 and get yourself armored up before you walk out into the world. Why? Because the flaming arrows of the evil one are flying today. They're flying today, and they're flying in conversations, and sometimes those conversations can be cutting. We're going to talk with Justin Gibney here from the AND Campaign um, about the pettiness of the politics of our day and how, as believers, um, we wanna, we want to be different in those conversations. Justin, welcome back.
1: Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having
0: me. Whew, how's it going? That is a um. that that's a I I don't know about you. I feel like the conversations that um, I'm overhearing and uh, and maybe I'm avoiding some participation in. Um, I see a lot of people just cutting one another in in political discourse today. Uh, I know you see it, too. So you have a piece posted uh, at the hill dot com. Um, first of all, that's kind of cool uh to get something posted there. So uh it's called our self-defeating politics of pettiness serves no good. Talk with us about the points you're making there.
1: Yeah, it, it seems to me uh that too often instead of actually trying to come up with solutions and 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 make sure that we're helping people who are hurting, because there are a lot of people who are suffering in this country sometimes we get caught up in really just trying to humiliate the other side or be snarky towards the other side or, or or you know just have that quip that um that that somehow tears the other side down and and that's what i was calling pettiness and i and i think it's unfortunate because uh some of our leaders i think on both sides of the aisle are are using this pettiness and and they're 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 acting on pettiness And it actually frustrates the process. It actually keeps us from coming to solutions. And it's interesting that people would say they were so serious about helping people that are hurting, but then do something that takes away from the merits of their argument on on real policy.
0: So we actually just um, in the last half hour, Justin, we talked with David Eubank, and he is um, in Syria today uh, feeding refugees. Um, And he was, you know, he was just Noting at the very end of the conversation you know it's not okay to to break a promise to these people and you know and he talks about the promise broken um, by the u s government to um, to those people when we withdrew our support uh, of the Kurds and mm. i I lift that up as an example because I do think that there are times that we imagine that our policies here in the United States are literally just political footballs, and we forget there are real people on the other end of those decisions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You, you have to put skin on policy. Uh, every every decision that they're making, every conversation that they have, has some effect on our political landscape and potentially on uh, serious policy. And so I think it's not just on our politicians, though. I think it's on the everyday person who kind of incentivizes this stuff, who encourages them to... To, to, to be petty. And really what this pettiness is, is it comes from kind of a, a prideful place. Either you're trying to protect yourself, uh, trying to humiliate the other side, or really just being vindictive. And none of those things are things that people who are kingdom-minded, people who are um, trying to reflect Jesus, we shouldn't be involved in any of that. I've been asking two questions quite a bit this uh, this year, and I'm going to continue to ask them. Number one, what is our identity in the public square as Christians? And what have we been sent to accomplish? Not what do we want to accomplish or what's in our interest, but what have we been sent to accomplish in the public square?
0: What kind of answers are you coming up with?
1: Well, I think it's clear. I think it's clear that we we are here, number one, to uh, profess the good news and to to evangelize. Uh, I think after that, we talk about promoting human dignity making sure that we love our neighbor and not just love them through through words but in deeds and labor and in self sacrifice. And that's just not it for our personal relationships, I truly believe that's also for our our public witness.
0: Wow, the gospel in uh, in both spoken word and through love in good deeds. Um that that sounds like the sent people of God in every generation. I do think that the identity of Christians in the public square today has become um so i don't know captivated um or captured maybe it's been captured by uh by political party and mm. therefore no longer captivated by the gospel which is really should be the centerpiece of it is what i hear you saying
1: yeah it's interesting because what i'm seeing is that our politics are really opposition centered and that we don't really even like our 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 parties that much we just want the other side to lose and so we pick mm. we pick people to lead us are most likely to inflict pain on the other side. And, you know, the things that we choose to support are really uh, start off from a view of how does it affect the folks that I'm against. Um, and, and that's a huge part of the pettiness that I've been talking about and, and part of the reason why we're not reflecting Christ in our public witness.
0: All right, Justin, you and I going to take a quick break. When we come back, um, I just want you to talk about uh, what maybe it feels like right now to be pro-life and to be watching, overhearing, um, and, and even participating in uh, conversations on the Democrat side of, of the aisle. So we're going to continue our conversation here with Justin Gibney in just a moment. He is with the AND Campaign. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Justin Gibney. you can find him on Twitter at Justin E. Gibney. You can also find him at the And campaign. All right, Justin. Um, we are we're reading headlines. We are hearing candidates for uh, for the presidency on the Democratic side of the aisle, uh, like Bernie Sanders, basically saying there's no room in the Democratic Party for anybody that is not pro-choice. Um, just talk about. Uh, let's talk at a feelings level, and then um, maybe you can confirm for me something that I think I heard about Amy Klobuchar yesterday. So, um, so let's just talk at a feelings level. Um, you know, what does it feel like right now to be pro-life and to be a Democrat? Well,
1: it depends on, you know, what circle you're in. I mean, I'm, I, I try to put all of this in context, and I understand that uh, this is a primary, that unfortunately uh, the, the the far left plays a little uh, more in the primary and that candidates are trying to appeal to them. The second thing is that Bernie Sanders isn't a, isn't a Democrat, right? He usually isn't one. So for him to speak for the party is a lot. But I'm around a lot of Democrats who are pro-life. Uh, I go to church with a lot of Democrats that are pro-life and fellowship with a lot of Democrats that are pro-life. So for that to be said is unfortunate. Uh, but I, definitely, I certainly think that people who are pro-life in the Democratic Party need to speak up a bit more. Uh, because every, every, anytime someone makes a comment like that, it's a calculation, right? If I make the comment, are there going to be more people that like it uh, and, and, and speak up or more people that dislike it and speak up? And so we just have to change that equation um i think i think both sides i would like to see both sides be more compre- comprehensive when it comes to the pro life issues uh and really seeing it as not something that's just pro birth uh, but life altogether uh to the grave.
0: so i think i heard yesterday that somebody was at a, a Klobuchar event and asked a very direct question about the pro life issue and um and she gave a fairly pro life answer does that does is that can you confirm that uh about her Um, Is that something that you know to be true of her? Um, Or if not, would it be something that would surprise you?
1: Um, So I think I saw the same post that you saw um, and that someone said that they asked her, is there room in the party for pro-life Democrats? Uh, She said yes. I don't know that she said anything pro-life, but she did give a big tent answer uh, saying that, yes, there is room for uh, people who are pro-life and that she does want to Uh, limit abortions, not necessarily to restrict them. uh, But it sounds like the the less abortions, the better, uh, which isn't necessarily a commitment to restrict. But that that's much more than any of the other candidates are saying right now. So uh, um, that's somewhat appreciated.
0: Well, and maybe maybe that right there, that's much more. I mean, the fact that she would say there's room is much more than other candidates are saying that says something.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's taken a chance. And I think uh, Klobuchar, I mean, she has her issues too. But in, in that regard, as far, as far as being a little more uh, moderate when it comes to certain issues, especially, especially social issues, she's reached out a, a little more than the others. And, and and again, at the end of the day, the folks who are pro-life uh, need to speak out, right? So we, we can blame it on the candidates all day. But if we're not speaking out and we're not changing their calculus, and we're going to end up in this position and i think that's just part of it and and i think both sides have things that you have to you have to kind of enforce uh to the party and to the candidates or else you know someone else is pushing them to go into another direction and that's what's happening here
0: all right let's circle back around to um to the conversation about how our politics can be self-defeating simply when we participate in a way that's that's just petty one of the things that you that you pointed out and i i really think that this is important for us to just sort of pause and individually consider am i really am I really committed to and excited about whichever party it is that I'm affiliated with or that I'm advocating for, or am I just against the other side, and if I'm just against something that that is kind of an ugly place to be
1: very much so i mean if if you look i mean you, you're on a, a social media just like I am, if you look at the feeds. It's not hard to tell that a lot of folks um, enjoy the agony of the other side, Mm. uh, almost as much as they enjoy a victory of their own. So to see the other side suffer, to see them have to eat crow or whatever is kind of what we look forward to. And in the public square, that's just not a productive or constructive way to look at things. Uh, again, we have to put skin on policy. We have to always have at the forefront of our mind when it comes to politics, our principles and that people are hurting and that we're here to help hurting people, uh, not just help ourselves. And I talk about the the uh, politics of Christian self-interest all the time, and I think that's wrong. We are here to help others. Uh, and and in, until that's at the front of our mind and we stop uh, encouraging and incentivizing this pettiness, then we're going to keep getting what we deserve.
0: All right. I, I uh that conversation about the politics of um, self-interest sort of reminds me just of the conversation even about, let's say, religious liberty. It's not a conversation about religious liberty if it's just a conversation about Christians having the liberty. It has to be a conversation about uh, liberty for people who believe nothing at all and people who believe things completely contrary to what I as a Christian believe. And I do Uh think that that's one of those areas um, where it's it, maybe it's e- it's easy for me anyway to um, to point out the hypocrisy um, of of the conversations uh, all, that often center around the concept of religious liberty. So that seems to be one that's easy to put, um, you know, to put flesh on.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, again, it goes back to that initial question I asked, you know, uh, what have we been sent to do? Uh, have we been sent is there anything in the bible that says we've been primarily sent to look after ourselves and to to, to make sure that we're okay or are we looking at our neighbor are we even looking at our enemy and saying how can i love you and politics gives us a robust opportunity to love people through social action while maintaining the fact that our our primary purpose is to evangelize
0: yeah that that shift right there from self-interest to the interest of my neighbor or even the interest of my enemy. Man, that sounds very Jesus-y. So thank you for um, reminding us of that today. You um you always bring a you always bring a good word. You always bring a good word. That's Justin Gibbney. You can find him at the and campaign. Um remind people about the podcast.
1: Yeah. So uh me and Michael Ware have the Church Politics Podcast comes out once a week and we talk about political issues from a biblical worldview.
0: Love it. Thanks, man. All right, we'll talk to you next time.
1: Thanks
0: for having me. Absolutely. We'll be right back. So have you been wounded by betrayal? Are you living today with a wound wound that's inflicted by someone to whom you were once so close that you knew there was no way they'd ever hurt you? And then they did. If you're living with the wound of betrayal today, Um, my next guest knows that pain. His name is Phil Waldrop. He also knows the path out of betrayal, and he's going to be here to share with us uh, his new book, Beyond Betrayal, which is, uh, which actually today's the book launch day. So we're going to celebrate with him that the book is now available, but we're going to talk with him about how he and how he got beyond betrayal and how, you know, frankly, you can too. We'll be right back. Okay, so every day I ask you where in the Word you are, and maybe you need a Bible. So we give away Bibles all the time. This month, we are giving away copies of the Tony Evans Study Bible. Um, Every single page has notes directly from Tony Evans. Um, And so if Tony Evans is a Bible teacher whom you appreciate, this may be a Bible Um, that you would really love and uh, adore opening the pages of each and every day. So if you want to enter this week's drawing, we are giving away one copy of the Tony Evans Study Bible each week and you simply enter to win at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be right back.
2: Pop psychology is wrong when it tells you to look inside yourself and find your value. This is Max Locato. According to the Bible, you are good simply because God made you in His image, period. He cherishes you because you bear a resemblance to Him, and you will only be satisfied when you engage in your role as an image-bearer of God. Such was the view of King David. As for me, he wrote, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. How much sadness would evaporate if every person simply chose to believe this? I was made for God's glory and am being made into His image. Why does God love you with an everlasting love? It has everything to do with whose you are. You are His. And because God's promises are unbreakable, our hope is unshakable. This is Max Locato.
0: Phil Waldrop. He is, among other things, the author of Beyond Betrayal. Phil, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
3: Well, thank you, Carmen. It's so good to be with you.
0: Okay, we're thrilled. Today's your book launch day. So, uh, you know, you're now like publicly referred to as the author of Beyond Betrayal. <laughs> um, wh- where are we in um, in your agenda today? Are we first? We love to be you, first. You are first up <gasps> today.
3: So, oh, you know, you today. always you do the first thing in the morning that is best and most important, so that's why I'm <laughs> on with you
0: you're precious. thank you so very much um Phil uh, I have watched the the videos that you produced um, along with your publisher to help us understand what this book is about and um and i really I appreciate that in not only in the book but um but sort of your story and and the reality of the depth of the betrayal you experienced. Um, It really does come through. This is one of those, we wish we could see your face, um, because even though you are beyond that personal experience of betrayal, it's not as if it ever totally goes away.
3: That's exactly right, because I tell people being betrayed is a little bit like having a deep cut. And, you know, it's a wound and it hurts and you have to go through healing but even when you finish the healing process, which can take a long time, there's a scar. And you always go through life with that scar, but the difference between a scar and a wound is if you touch a wound, it hurts. You touch a scar, it doesn't. So what I want to help people who have gone through a deep betrayal is to get to the place where their betrayal is no longer a wound, but it is a scar. It's there, it's something that happens, but it's not painful for us, and it doesn't affect us in a negative way.
0: Now, yours is a name that um, some people are going to recognize. I mean, you are a person who has had a very high-profile ministry for a very long time. You have um, you have brought many of us really excellent conferences and events that we otherwise would not have had, ha- have had access to. Um I I imagine that there are people who are listening right now who think that a person in that kind of position could never really be betrayed. Aren't you insulated um, by ever really being hurt? Aren't you living such a large life that, you know, there's layers of protection um, against being really hurt? Talk about the reality that literally anybody can be betrayed.
3: Well, let's put it this way. Uh, I think you could be a perfect person in every way and still have people who betray you. And I can prove that because Jesus was betrayed by Judas. So no one is isolated from betrayal. It's part of fallen, sinful mankind that people are going to act in a selfish way, and they're gonna go and do what they want to do, and in the process, they trample on your emotions and your love and your trust. And for me, that was a case. It happened to be a friend and a colleague, someone that uh, had been involved in our ministry, and they did not do anything illegal, but they were involved in immoral and unethical behavior. And it was very painful because I think the depth of a betrayal is it's someone you think would never uh, turn against you, someone who has your back. You certainly don't think they're going to put a knife in it. And that was the experience for me. And so it doesn't matter um, of your own personal walk with God. Again, I remind people, Jesus was betrayed. So why do we think we're going to be the exception? We're not going to be the exception. And it might be a spouse who's been unfaithful. It might be a business partner uh, who, you know, an employee or an employer who do some things that hurt us and abused us. It might be a friend who just shared very confidential information, a coworker who took something that was confidential and used it to discredit you, keep you from a promotion. The list is, is as long as we could talk today. But the truth is no one is exempt from someday having someone hurt them deeply uh, and betray them.
0: So when you think about your own journey um, beyond betrayal, Give us a sense mm-hmm. of of a timeline, um, and then tell us some of the things that you discovered about God and his mercy along the way.
3: Uh, well, I think when I first learned of the betrayal, and I think betrayal, especially deep betrayals, where we have a very intimate relationship with someone and they 're very close to us, there's a sense of shock it 's almost the, the closest thing I could compare it to. Is being told someone you love uh, has been killed uh, unexpectedly. They've died unexpectedly. You have that shock. You go into denial. It's not true. It can't be. Please tell me this is a bad dream. It's the same thing with betrayal. In fact, you initially may tell your people, oh, this is just a big misunderstanding and I, I don't have the correct information. We try to deny it. Then we go through anger. And when people have been betrayed, they get angry. Now they may not express it, some do, but they may not throw things or raise their voice, but they may be angry inwardly. But you do get angry. And if you do not process that anger in a healthy biblical way, you become bitter. And once you become bitter, and the root of bitterness, as Paul called it, gets in your life, revenge and trying to get even and always even the score becomes the daily routine. For me, I went through all of those stages. Now, unfortunately, I cuz I was in ministry and you know, I was going to do the the spiritual thing and say, "Hey, you know, uh, I forgive him. I'm over it." And I wasn't. And other people say, "I can't forget." But the truth is, I in my mind I wanted to forgive, but I didn't realize how anger and bitterness and feelings of revenge were in my life. And so, it took me nearly 20 years to properly process that betrayal. Now, I don't think it should take everybody that long. But I got to be honest, I didn't have a book like Beyond Betrayal that validated what I was feeling and helped me to process it and gave me simple, practical things to do to help me get through that stage that I was going through.
0: So let's take a very brief break. And then when we come back, let's actually dive into the book um, and give people a, a little foretaste of what's in there, because those simple, practical things that you um, that you offer these biblical principles mm-hmm. and practical tools, um, I really think they're they're well they're life restoring, they're life giving, and so we're gonna give people a foretaste of that in just a moment. I am talking with Phil Waldrop. The book is Beyond Betrayal, available today from Harvest House Publishers. We'll be right back. <laughs> Continuing my conversation with Phil Waldrop, we're talking about his book *Beyond Betrayal*. Phil, I want to share with you. We have listeners who are texting in. Um, their deep mm-hmm. appreciation for our um, for our talking about this subject. This is this is a reality. This is where people live. Um, the wounds are deep. Uh, there is a genuine appreciation for the fact that Jesus not only experienced and endured betrayal, um, but the acknowledgement that Scripture like bears witness to that. Like that's such a gift of grace that we know that about him.
3: Mm -hmm. It's very true. And I think one of the things that happens to us is we look at how Jesus handled betrayal and he sets a wonderful model for us. But I also think it's important to remember that there are certain things that we think about forgiveness, for example, and we and maybe that Jesus had the capabilities as God to do that we may not have the human capabilities of doing for example mm-hmm. when i when i was young people said to me all the time forgiving is forgetting and they literally meant that if you really have forgiven someone you totally you never thought about it you never you never it never crossed your mind if someone mentions it you say like oh i forgot all about that well, to ask someone to forget something as dramatic as betrayal, it's not even, I believe, humanly possible this side of heaven. Now, I think when we get to heaven, those memories will be gone because then there'll be no more pain, the Bible says. And if it's painful now, it would be painful then. So I think when we get to heaven, we have perfect bodies. But now we don't forget. Now, we, when we first get betrayed, we dwell on it. You know, we marinate in it. We can't get it off our mind. Because we keep going back and looking, trying to find all the signs, because we really feel, to be honest, we feel stupid. We feel like, how could I be so dumb? Why didn't I see that? And of course, like Job's friends in the Old Testament, you have all these friends come around you thinking they're helping you, and they start telling you, oh, I saw that coming, or if you'd asked me, I could have told you that. And then you get upset with your friends, because why didn't you tell me that? Well, they may or may not have realized it. They're just trying to validate you as a person. But I thought it was forgetting, and it wasn't. And then the other thing for me, as I was trying to walk through forgiveness, and this to me was freeing, and I think this is very freeing for your listeners to hear, is we got the idea somewhere along the way that if I truly forgive someone—and let me go ahead and say forgiveness in the Scriptures is giving up your rights to revenge— It means if I forgive someone, I stop trying to settle the score. I stop trying to be to even things. But for me, I had to come to understand that in the Bible, there's a difference between trust and forgiveness. I can forgive you and yet not trust you. As a matter of fact, Carmen, think of it this way. In the Bible, we are told many times to trust the Lord because he never will betray us. But not one time, not one time in all of Scripture, are we told to trust another person because trust is earned i can't give you my trust you have to earn my trust and and many times that causes people to think well if i forgive this person then i've got to totally trust them at the same level again no you do not it's perfectly appropriate if someone is in a marriage and a, they've had an unfaithful spouse and that spouse is repentant and wants to Restore the relationship. They need to understand they've got to say to the betrayer, My trust has been shattered. You need to earn my trust. And here's the way it can be earned. Now, you're not trying to punish them if you've forgiven, to say, I have the right to check where you are and who you're talking to and to see your phone records. And if the betrayer is really sincere, they will welcome that kind of accountability. So it's important to understand, forgiveness is giving up my rights to revenge, uh, even verbally, not just in action, but in reality it takes a long time to have trust rebuilt, not only in the betrayer, but in people in general.
0: Talking with Phil Waldrop, we're talking about his new book, Beyond Betrayal. Uh, It is available today. Um, Phil, talk with us about some just some of the practical steps. If a person has experienced very, uh, well, I mean, betray- betrayal is always deep. So they've been deeply wounded by betrayal. Um, what is what is a first step today?
3: The first step I would tell people today is to pray and ask God. And I know sometimes we're flippant when we say player, but I mean it sincerely to help say, Lord, I need you to help me emotionally, because when you've been betrayed, you go from outrage of anger to you cry and you, you can go into uh, even a depression. You go from one mode because your emotions now are so raw. The second thing I would tell people to do, and this helped me, and I go into detail because in Beyond Betrayal, it's very practical steps. I don't just give you some grandiose idea. I give you practical things to do, and here's one people can start doing today. Go get a piece of paper, get a notebook, get a journal, get something and start writing what you feel. If you're angry, if you feel like, man, I could just choke him today or I could choke her today, write that on a piece of paper. If you feel that way, God already knows it. Now, you're not writing on that in that journal or that piece of paper. You're not writing so people can read it. You may actually run it through the shredder after you write it. But it is allowing you to vent your emotions in a way that you're not harming other people. And and that is something very simple people can do. It's amazing. Every great Christian that I and, and I, I by Christian, I mean, everybody I knew God is using in a phenomenal way. You mentioned Tony Evans study Bible not too long ago. Tony Evans and I have had this discussion about everybody we see that God is using in a phenomenal way, are people who journal, even when they've not had a betrayal. They write what they're feeling, what's happening in their life. And then the other thing I would suggest, Carmen, is start reading the Psalms. Because, and I have some very specific Psalms that I list in my book, because we think of Psalms as a hymn book, when Psalms, the book of Psalms, is really a journal of David. And believe me, David was betrayed many times in his life, And he put his raw feelings into the Psalms. So as you read what David is experiencing, you will find yourself saying, I feel the exact same way. And you can see how God worked in David's life, and you can be assured he's going to work the same way in your life.
0: If you have experienced betrayal and you would like to overcome those past hurts and begin to trust again, Beyond Betrayal is a book that is for you. Phil Waldrop is the author. Um, thank you so much for being with us today, Phil. Uh, I, I don't even, I, I have every confidence that this book is going to be such a blessing and ministry to others. So thank you so much for sharing it with us here today.
3: Well, thank you, Carmen. My joy to be with you.
0: We will, uh, we'll touch base with you again. Thanks so much. Sounds All right, good. friends, I gotta, I gotta take one last break and then we'll be right back. Wow. Um, what a day. Uh, thank you so much for joining me for this time together. Let me encourage you to be in the Word. Phil there just sent us into the Psalms. I have, uh, I have also been today um, in Psalm 145, which is where we actually opened the first hour. So let me just remind you that we are going to exalt God, our God and King. We're going to praise His name forever and ever. Every day, says the psalmist, I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever, for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell your mighty acts. So let's be those people today. Let's be those people who acknowledge and recognize that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love, that his mercies are new every morning, and that every morning we need his mercy anew. I'm confident that you need God's mercy today because we all do, um, and so in those places and spaces where you have opportunity, let's extend the mercy of God to others. Other people that we encounter today are wounded; they're they're hurting. Many of them have been gravely betrayed. Um, so let's be people of grace today. Let's be people who extend the mercy that we have received from God. Let's be people who extend that mercy to others in really tangible ways. Uh, we've we've talked in this in this hour about putting um, putting skin on policy let's uh, let's put let's put skin on the gospel today as well. Let's be the people who um, who incarnate the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world that he so loves. So how can you do that? How can you extend the grace that you have received in Christ to other people? Thank you so much for uh, for being here. join us online at myfaithradio.com. grab the podcast share it with someone new. have a great day and God bless.